Black Lives Matter and the 93% riots in Rochester over the holiday weekend. Trump loves our military despite what the media says. And Kamala Harris is proud of Jacob Blake. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. I did miss all of you for a few days there. I felt like I needed a couple of days away, so I went out to Montana. And in preparation, I even rewatched The Hunt for Red October because you will recall one of the senior officers in that movie, played by Sam Neill, says he wants to live in Montana, a Russian guy. And it's kind of weird in that movie how they have all these, well, American and, and Scottish, in the case of Connery, actors playing these Russian guys like they couldn't get Russian actors. But uh, I did get to see Montana, unlike Sam Neill in The Hunt for Red October. Uh, spoiler alert. And I will tell you, it was uh, an interesting respite from my urban existence. Uh, it was beautiful, lovely state. And let's just say that I'm excited to be back in the fight with all of you. Let's get right to it. We have riots occurring. Oh, well, what a surprise. More riots over the weekend. I tried to be off of social media for a few days. I had a couple of breaks where I said, OK, I, I've got to see what's going on. And you had the, the usual, of course, you had the, the insanity in Portland, the, the absurdity in Seattle, the lunacy in Pittsburgh, and then also riots in Rochester. You think, well, what, what is going on with that? Why are we all of a sudden seeing riots in Rochester? But this is a reminder, friends, that this movement, so to speak, and to call it a movement, I think, is to give it too much credit. But this entire apparatus of activists are sometimes from the area in which they protest but often not they bring in these auxiliaries of insanity and they destroy areas they destabilize they undermine cities they undermine towns doesn't matter where you are across the country and sure enough support for blm as a movement in the latest polling i saw is well below where it was before the series of protests after and riots and looting after the George Floyd police incident, one that we now also look back on and think more critically about exactly what happened there, because we were all rushed to judgment. All of us were, including me, including everyone, conservative media. You had to say, well, it did look awful. And that's true. It did look awful, but we didn't know all the facts. But that's the whole point, isn't it? You're pushed to make judgments about all this stuff. You're pushed to make determinations without anybody able to stop uh, step back and say hold on a second shouldn't we allow the process to play out at least to the point where we get all the very pertinent and necessary facts i mean you don't necessarily have to wait for a jury verdict right but you could at least wait until you know the basics of what's going on but we couldn't even do that not, not allowed not allowed and now we see that there's no way the left is going to stop these protests. There's no way they're going to shut down this movement. I don't know if they could, even if they want to, and it's certainly not clear that they want to. So what does that leave us with? Well, now they're trying to convince us 
that it's mostly peaceful again. You'll notice that in the recent uh, few weeks or so that we've been talking about this, the narrative overall has shifted numerous times. We've gone from, oh, it's Trump causing the riots to what riots to, okay, fine, maybe they're riots, but they're not that bad. Uh, to now, the, the latest thing that I'm seeing is that, oh, they're 93% peaceful. And there are folks out there who are dumb enough that they share this, thinking that somehow that's a convincing argument. 93% of all BLM gatherings across the country, I was seeing this all weekend, are considered uh, peaceful according to these statistics that are out there. You see it all over the place. Hmm. Okay, and this is some analysis they've done. I'm not even going to contest whether the number is 93 or if it's 75 or who cares. It doesn't matter. Even if it's 93, there have been a couple of hundred riots and looting. Uh, Portland alone has had close to 100 days now, I believe, of riots. So what does that tell us? Why would anyone think that that's a compelling argument? It's not. It's simply not even in the least bit a compelling argument in favor of BLM. A hundred percent of Tea Party protests a decade ago were entirely peaceful. So why is it that we're supposed to clap for BLM for being 93% peaceful? As I've, as I've explained before, you know, the, the time uh, when, when Lincoln was at the theater was by the seconds you could count off 99% nonviolent. 99% nonviolent, you know. I'm sure, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer ate actual food 99% of the time, but that doesn't really matter, does it? That doesn't really change your perspective on what someone has done, whether they are deserving of your respect or your consideration or not. You know, if someone said, well, 99% of my life, I'm not a murderer, you'd say, well, that 1% really matters a lot, doesn't it? But it's, it's just propaganda. It's just a lie. It's just another way of pretending, giving people a, a statistic that's meant to be well, it's, it's irrelevant and it's meant to be a shield against the very obvious. Which is what the public is finally figuring out now. I mean, a lot of us have known for months that this was terrible and that Black Lives Matter makes everything worse for everyone. But now, at least there are people that weren't necessarily convinced early on that we're socially pushed, we're coerced, we're shamed into thinking that this movement was, in fact, all to the good, that it was going to make things better for people. And then we turn around and say, well, hold on, look at what it's actually done. And there was this uh, video over the weekend of a protester. I, I see it. That's, that's the problem. We need even we need better terms. Rioter. Rioter works, but, you know, vandal, barbarian. We need terms of excellent disparagement for what goes on in places like Portland and Rochester. We, we need to make it clear that we have disdain specific enough so that we know who we're talking about with these indiv individuals, but that it also has a clear pejorative, right? I mean, calling them Antifa, for example, that's what they want to call themselves. We should come up with something better than that. We should have names for these idiots that we use other than just calling them idiots, which is somewhat useful in and of itself. But one of them out in uh, out in Portland was going to throw a Molotov cocktail at police, an incendiary device that, in case anyone's wondering, is in fact a weapon of war. It was 
devised specifically for a war. The uh, Finnish, very short duration, but quite nasty fight with the uh, Soviets when they invaded during the Second World War. And that's where Molotov was the foreign minister, the Soviet foreign minister, and the Finns named it a Molotov cocktail to tell everybody exactly what they thought of this guy who was pushing for the push for the invasion, along with, of course, the Central Committee. But a, a Molotov cocktail is a weapon of war. And this guy used it. Suppose I tried to use it on police and ended up dropping it and lit his own legs on fire. And he's running around. It's all on video. You can see it. It looks like a, a total moron. I mean, it's, it's, as, it's as, as dumb a video of somebody who's supposed to be a protester as you'll find. And he, I just want to know. I would want to ask this individual, what the heck do you really think you're doing? What do they think they're accomplishing with any of this? I mean, obviously, the guy who lit himself on fire in that moment probably is having some second thoughts about being a glorious revolutionary. But what really is going on here? What do they think they're doing? Who do they think they're helping? Same thing I'd want to ask about the videos circulating of BLM protesters walking around with a bullhorn in Pittsburgh and screaming at people, random people on the street. Why is that acceptable? Who, who thinks that that's in any way uh, to be promoted, in any way honorable, decent behavior? I mean, it, I think it speaks volumes about the character and decency or lack thereof of BLM protesters, uh, their idiotic belief that shouting in people's faces with loudspeakers while they eat somehow serves justice. It's really about feeling the rush of power from intimidating strangers as part of a mob. That's what this is really motivated by that's what's going on here the people that are doing these protests the people who are behind all of this they're, they're not uh, in any way advancing the cause of justice or police reform or anything else this is about them they're throwing a tantrum and they like going around yelling at people they feel powerful right this is the emboldening of the mob and the democrat party is the party of the mob that's not new but that's why it's emotions over data and reason and fact and argument and logic, because mobs don't rely on those things. Mobs don't operate in that context. What does the mob want? Whatever it wants, when it wants it, go along with it and you are powerful. Stand in front of it and you will be torn down. The Democrats really are the party of Barabbas. I mean, they are. They are absolutely crazed with their anti-Trump hatred. And that's why they know they can't control the left wing base. That's why the, the protests and and riots and looting that are going on in all these cities. And over the weekend, it was what Seattle, Rochester, Pittsburgh, Portland. It's a bunch. It's a lot of cities. Oh, but 93 percent peaceful, they tell us. Well, that's remarkable, isn't it? You know, for three hundred and sixty four days of the year. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, respectively, were, you know, doing pretty well back in 1945. But, you know, there was one bad day, right? I mean, you can do this. You can you can try to obscure the truth here any number of ways, but we can all see exactly what's going on. The Democrat Party is in a constant fit of perpetual rage and tantrum throwing. 
There's a childish anger behind all of this, too. They don't get their way, and so they're just going to demand and spit and scream and cry anything they have to do. And then they turn around and think they're sophisticated and they're moral and they're adult. Then they turn around and suggest that Donald Trump is a bad person who hates the troops. That's really the line of attack now. As I told you before, and this will be a theme today, it'll be a theme every day we do this show until the election. They're going to try everything. It's the kitchen sink opposition to Trump. They're going to throw everything they've got at this guy. You're going to hear Russia redux. You're going to hear about women that, you know, claim that Trump grabbed at them 30 or 40 years ago, whatever it is. No proof, no support for it. It doesn't matter. You're going to the, the 25th Amendment. Oh, Trump is actually not of sound mind. They're going to throw everything they've got at him. And even after all that, if the American people choose Donald Trump for four more years, the left will not accept it. We don't have to ask them if they won't accept the results of the election. They've told us and we already know. And even if they lied and said they would accept it, still wouldn't believe them. That's what this country is heading toward right now. So get ready for it, my friends. Strap in. Shields high. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The terms themselves are very difficult and loaded about what counts as destruction or violence and what you count as police use of force. And those definitions themselves seem to be at the the heart over the sort of political and cultural battle over what the protests themselves mean. That's absolutely right. And uh, sociologists, social scientists more generally have had to come up with criteria where uh, a protest that is, you know, coded as violent is one in which there's significant injury or death or, uh, you know, uh, uh, arson. Um, But that's got to be it's got to cross the threshold. And as you mentioned, 93 percent of these events have been peaceful. And that really has, I think, allowed the Black Lives Matter movement to capture a kind of moral high ground in the country in the larger debate. OK, so this is really the game we're going to play, huh? Ninety three percent of BLM, as I've been saying, they, they claim is peaceful. But, you know, Pearl Harbor for three hundred and sixty four days of 1941, 364 out of 365 was a very peace, beautiful place. Great weather. There was one really bad day on December 7th. But I mean, other than that, Pearl Harbor was, you know, a pretty, pretty quiet, peaceful place. Yes, there was the aftermath. You could. How about this? 11 out of 12 months of 1941. Pearl Harbor was a great place to be. Lots of sunshine. There was one one bad month. Come on. One out of 12. Big deal, right? This is what they're doing. There's going to be no end to this. I mean, just just prepare for this. The lies they will tell to you, the way that they will make you think. How could it be possible that I disagree so much with people who seem so certain and that they claim the facts are on their side during all of this is even more astonishing. Uh, they, They want you to question what you know to be true. Just like in the old Soviet Union, one of the great methods of control was to have you lie about the little things. Right In totalitarian societies, they don't just want you to bend the knee when the emperor, so to speak, rolls on by, they, they want you to admit that bread is a potato. They want you to think that up is down. They want you to be incapable of separating lies from truth in your own mind just by inundating you with lies and by forcing you piece by piece 
because of the coercion they use to agree with the lies they're telling, even if you know they're untrue. But eventually you will confuse yourself. Eventually you'll say, well, how many of these stories can they run? Are all of the stories they're saying about Trump lies? Are all of these things? And the answer is, depending on what we're talking about, with Russia collusion, for example, yes, it's all a lie. All of it. There was no collusion. It's all a, it's a figment of their imaginations. It's a fabrication. But they think, on the one hand, they will have their follow, make their followers very happy by doing this. And on the other hand, they will also force all of us to sit back and say, are we sure? That's what they want you to do. Just doubt it for a little bit. Doubt for a second. For a day, perhaps the day of the election. That what they're saying could even be true. And all they need is to accomplish that. And sure enough, it will be a success for them. They just want you to lose your faith in what you know to be true. And if you do that, then they're able to get away with all of this. Then the rolling blackouts in California, because, you know, one of the richest places in the world can't keep the electricity on. I, I guess it's not a great idea to run an economy on windmills and hope. You know, this is this is what they don't want you to look at what's going on in the country right now and make rational, reasonable judgments about which party has shock troops out in the streets, threatening people, screaming in people's faces, ruining their days. I mean, it's it's scary when a mob starts screaming at you and screaming curses at you. A, a normal American, a normal person is going to say this is this is really unsettling. Look, it would be scary for me, be scary for any of us, because, you know, you might think, well, Buck, I'll go punch them in the face. Well, first of all, if there's 50 of them. I don't care how tough you are. You're going to have a problem. And second of all, it's even in the reaction to this where you could get in the most trouble. It's you being caught on video screaming back in the face of a BLM protester. Oh, you'd say, but Buck, I would never you know, even use curses or any kind of improper language. Yeah, what are you going to do when they release a video of you trying to fight back and they say that, you used a racial epithet. Oh, but Buck, I, I didn't do that. I, that's a lie. Exactly. The lie about you. They're going scorched earth. They don't care. There's no honor or decency in this movement. They want to control you, friend. And if they can't control you, they'll destroy you. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We as a country face two pathways. Right? We have a choice. We can go down one, we can go down the other. And increasingly, it's, it's obvious that the BLM movement is a path of division, destruction, divisiveness, hatred, rage, perhaps the dissolution of our society. That's, that's what BLM offers. They have no solutions. They have nothing to promote that will make lives better, that will save lives or make us happier, make us more prosperous, make us more free. And when I say us, I mean the American people, all of us, of every race, creed, and color. They have, they have no solutions. They pretend to sometimes to give their lib journo accomplices something to say. Oh, but they want greater transparency. They want a national database of police violence. What, what's that going to do? We already have national database uh, that the a national database that the FBI collects for that uh, breaks down crimes by race, crimes by sex, by uh, you know by gender. 
And uh, here's here's a, an interesting little piece of little piece of data to keep in mind. If you're going to just base everything on the numbers and not look at what's actually happening, not look at who's doing what, just say, well, hold on a second. We have a huge problem in this country with the murder laws being disproportionately applied to men. Men are being accused of all and, and convicted of, of 90 percent, 90 percent plus of the murders in this country. So so I guess the murder laws must be uh, must be anti-male. That's a, it must be misandry, I believe, is the term. I always forget that one. No, that's a stupid thing to say, right? That's a dumb position. But increasingly, that's what's going to happen with data. You know, why are some why are some groups committing more crimes than others when you break it down statistically with the FBI? Here's another one. Why do white males commit so many more crimes than Asian males, Asian American males in this country? I don't I don't have an answer for you, but it's not because the laws are biased against white males in favor of Asian males. That's not true. But no one will ever have. See, we, we, we can look at this. You can see what's going on here, but no one can ever have a real discussion about what's really happening in any community right now, because we have these narratives around that. We have narratives that tell us that what we see and what we know to be happening isn't really what's happening. There's something else going on here. There's a system. You see, there's a systemic racism behind all of this, an invisible hand holding some people, not just holding them down, pushing them into crimes, pushing them into violence. Oh, that's a. A claim that you will recall the liberals were advancing back even in the 70s. Poverty, government failure causes violence. Just not true. There are, in fact, many countries all over the world that have tremendous poverty, very low crime rates. Poverty doesn't cause crime. Could be a contributing factor to it. But many things are a contributing factor to it. Ultimately, we either hold individuals responsible for what they do or if we create narratives that absolve them of responsibility because it's politically convenient, we begin to erode our justice system entirely. We start to kick down one of the most important fundamental uh, organizing principles of our entire country, which is that everyone is to be held to account under the same laws, and the laws apply regardless of who you are. We know libs think that's all a big joke, that's all ridiculous. Anyway, they don't really care about any of that. But you, you have a, a view of what's happening in the country right now that we should be we should be uh, in, very clear on what's being said. Uh, Ilhan Omar, for example, takes this position on what we are seeing in America today. Play 26. As we speak, we are in the midst of an ongoing uprising over centuries of racial neglect and oppression. We can't talk about the protests in Minneapolis or Kenosha or sports teams nationwide without first looking inward. We maintain a system that grinds millions into desperate poverty, a system that doesn't provide the most basic necessities like food, shelter, and medicine, whether they are brutalized by police, by austerity economics, or by politicians who simply do not care about us our nation is crying out desperately for change. We need to fundamentally change the way our society treats its most vulnerable because this has gone long enough. What country is she talking about? When you listen to this, this is a sitting member of Congress, very famous, very well off. I mean, wealthy by any 
global standard by any American standard. Members of Congress make 168000 something like that a year, and they can make a little more depending on leadership roles, etc. But what country is she talking about that's holding down millions of people in poverty? I'm I'm curious. I know she thinks she's talking about America, but here you have a minority female refugee who is a member of Congress, who's now a, a rich public representative. And she's talking about how there's all this oppression and she mentions government figures who don't care enough. And I want to say, uh, you mean like the Democrat Party? Because they're in charge. If you want to look at places where there is a lot of poverty and despair among minorities in particular, among racial minorities, you'll find that Democrats are in charge, really without exception. So who are the politicians who don't really care? We have a massive welfare state in this country, and there are state welfare agencies that go along with it, too. How much more are we going to how much more are we going to spend and do? What's too much? Doesn't answer any of these questions, but, but more to the point for me, is it, look, you can pull up everything. It's just it's just the worst kind of demagoguery. Right. This is socialist and racial demagoguery from a sitting member of Congress. That's that's what she's doing. This is what the Democrat Party is obsessed with these days, because they also don't have any ideas to make people better off, make us more prosperous, make us richer. You know, I'm trying to do some uh, some small business, uh, some small business maneuvers in New York State, for example. And I'm really getting a taste of it now. And I've known about it for a long time. It's just endless bureaucratic B.S., just paperwork and this and that and expenses and fees and file here and ready to make it impossible. And Democrats think, what, this is helping? No, it's just give more money to the state. You know, I'm paying these fees so that, you know, lazy representatives in the teachers union can get paid 250 grand to make sure that your kids go to subpar schools, but that the adults don't have to work too hard who teach them. Right. I mean, that's really what's going on, at least in New York. Democrats don't have any ideas that are make things better for us. They, they don't know how to improve this country that we all share. No, they, they just benefit from exacerbating the politics of envy, making everyone feel like they can only advance at the expense of others and with the state being the one that makes those determinations. The state must hold some down to elevate others. That's the, the real plan. That's the goal. And if you believe Ilhan Omar understands anything about the economy or really anything about America, I, I'm, I've got a whole new line of thinking for that person. It's just not true. An ongoing uprising, though, you know, an uprising usually has, this is what Ilhan Omar said, an uprising, it usually has a specific purpose. Centuries of racial neglect and oppression. Uh, okay, what is what is required now? What are we supposed? There's only there's only one kind of discrimination uh, discrimination over race that is in our law that our government engages in and is in favor of uh, predominantly but not entirely black and Hispanic racial minorities in this country, also Native Americans. I mean, there are a few other groups. But th- that is the only legalized discrimination by race that exists. That's it. So they're telling us now that there's an uprising. An uprising to what purpose? What do they want? A larger welfare state? What are people who are paying into this welfare state supposed to think about it just growing and growing? Not ending poverty. The war on poverty has been a failure. 
but increasing government dependency in this way, what are they to think? What are the conclusions they're supposed to take from this? Individuals are not responsible for their own actions. You know, there's a very straightforward, and social scientists have looked at this many times, a very straightforward program for not being in poverty. You know what it, you know what it is? I'm sure you've heard it before, but just to review, finish high school, don't have babies before you get married, and when you're married, stay married. That's it. I think across all racial categories in this country, if you do those three things, you have something like a 90% chance of not being in poverty, of effectively having a, a middle-class life or something close to a middle-class life, having a, a comfortable enough existence, you know, eating good food, living in a nice house, you know, living in a house, you know, safe place, and, and paying your bills. You have a 90% chance of that. Now, no system is perfect, right? And that's another problem that we're constantly dealing with with the Democrats. Like our police, they're not perfect. But she speaks about police brutality as though it's some daily occurrence. Here's what the Democrats won't concede right now. Sometimes police violence is necessary and justified. You know, we transfer as a society, we put in the hands of cops the right to use violence under certain circumstances in our collective name. Because otherwise, uh, we're all going to start walking around concealed carry or, you know, carrying whatever weapons we prefer. And it's just going to be Mad Max out there. Right? There's a reason why the police carry guns. And there's a reason why citizens should also be allowed to carry guns. But, of course, the usage of, of state violence in order to enforce the law, this is the, this is the basis of a nation state. It's like they don't teach poli-sci 101 anymore to Democrats. Oh, it's just all Marx. It's all Marx. It's all this, this uh, angry, godless loser whose ideas have done more harm to the modern world than, than really anybody else. That's what they're teaching your kids now in school. That's what they think the way forward should be. And so we're told there's an ongoing uprising, and it's because of police violence and brutality. Where does this uprising end? And, and to call it an uprising is, of course, meant to confer a kind of political legitimacy on it, right? Like, there's, like the reason people are going into stores in Chicago or in New York... I know there was more looting in New York over the weekend, too. I can't keep up with all the looting and rioting that's going on. But the reason that there's uh, that that's occurring, that people are going in and stealing sneakers from a store is because of centuries of oppression. That's what we're told. No really bright person with good judgment believes that, but it's an excuse. It works for them. And the brainwashed lib masses, they do believe it. They'll think, oh, sure. That's absolutely why there's coordinating loot, coordinated looting of high-end stores going on. That's absolutely why lunatics on the West Coast are practicing with umbrellas in a kind of phalanx formation like they're, you know, Leonidas at Thermopylae when the police decide that they're going to send in the uh, send in the, the the riot formations to shut them down. I mean, they look like total these Antifa, they, they look like total morons all the time. These are, these are also losers all the time. These are not people that you'd want as friends, as neighbors to be around you. They're all Democrats. Don't get trapped into this thinking that they have their way and we have our way. You know, I, I've become more partisan over the last 10 years because 
the left has become more insane. I've become more disdainful of their beliefs because I've seen in practice what they're willing to do and how they play the game and what their end goal is. And they're not the same. They keep moving further to the left. They keep radicalizing and expecting all of us to treat them as though they're the same old Democratic Party. I refuse to play that game. And I also refuse to accept that there's, oh, our two-party system, the best thing is it for always uh, for, uh, for it to be in balance. No, the best thing that could happen to this country right now is Donald, uh, Donald Trump crushes Joe Biden. The Republicans hold the Senate and take control of the House. That is the best thing that could happen for America this fall. We'll make everything perfect. We'll make all of our problems go away. Of course not. But if, you, if you're looking for a, a positive outcome from our election, that's the only way that this improves. And that's assuming that they even accept that the election was legitimate, which I don't think is. I think we should plan for the opposite. And they're pretty much telling us that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, there is another way. There's another way that this country can go. There's another approach to what is not a perfect place by any means. And one in which there are still racial divisions. Yes, there are still racist. The system is imperfect. But we can try to make it more perfect while also holding each other up, supporting one another. Showing each other respect, obeying the laws, treating each other with decency and honor. That is the way this country could go. But only if the left's insanity is defeated. UFC fighter Bobby Green uh, went viral over the weekend. And I've got to say, I'm, I'm not somebody who watches a lot of UFC, but I do think it's important to support people who share what matters to you and not just view these uh, view college, uh, not college, view athletes, professional athletes as though nothing they say really matters. It's all just about the entertainment because they're forcing us to, to view their politics now. Well, if you're going to view, uh, if you're going to take action in a negative sense against some people, you've also got to take action against those or take action in favor of those who speak out and share your values. Here's here's a really powerful statement from UFC fighter Bobby Green. Play one. Yeah, come here. Come here. Come here. Oh, it's gonna bring. So we've been fighting right now in this time in our country. We're doing this whole Black Lives Matter. Everyone's fighting. Everyone's looting. This is my father. I was born in foster care. I didn't have a mother or a father. They gave me away. My father wasn't fit to be my father. This is my dad here, Jacob Benny. He's been there since the beginning. He's done everything. He laid his life down for me, and I lay his life down for him. I don't judge any man on the color of their skin, but the content of their character. We're here. We love. It doesn't matter what color it is. It's all about love. You can't beat hate with hate. You beat hate with love. So everyone out there, please stop fighting. Please come together. We can't beat it that way with love. Think of what it would mean if Bobby Green wasn't a lone voice right now in professional sports saying this. Imagine how many people could be inspired, how many futures could be improved, perhaps even lives saved. If more professional athletes took this most American of messages, most inspiring of messages to their fans. But no, instead of Bobby Green's pathway to healing and a better America, which I think is clear to all of us, what we get are tantrums and lectures from millionaire celebrity athletes about how racist America is. Thankfully, Bobby Green's not one of them. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was one of the few stories that I couldn't help but dive into a bit over the holiday weekend, even though I, I really tried to be on a little, on a little uh, R&R in Montana. And instead, well, I, will say I had great barbecue out there. Great barbecue in Montana, so you're moving North Carolina. I don't know. I uh, really enjoyed it. A lovely place. Okay. I couldn't help but see, though, this story, and I, and, and I know that it's still going because this is now a narrative. They've created a story. They've created a storyline that now they can use. It's for a purpose. The lib anti-Trump media does this as activists. They don't do this because they're journalists. But here's the, the basics. I'm sure you might have heard of this. We're going to dive into this together, though. Published in The Atlantic, which is a, a left-wing, uh, left-wing opinion journal that is only, slightly more, is only slightly more read than, say, The New Republic, which I think now probably counts its subscribers in the, in the triple digits. But The Atlantic the thinks of itself as fancy. It's got a lot of smug jerks who write for it. I know some of them. And here's the article written by Jeffrey Goldberg, a big lib, no surprise. Trump, Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. And the president has repeatedly disparaged the intelligence of service members and asked that wounded veterans be kept out of military parades. Multiple sources tell the Atlantic. Now, since that was published on September 3rd, right, and this was meant over the holiday weekend, this was all timed, it was all coordinated, send everybody off on the holiday weekend thinking, wow, Trump, or at least anyone who reads this and believes it, wow, Trump said that about our military? Trump is that disrespectful to our wounded veterans? Oh, gosh, I, I don't know if I could vote for this guy. Here's the problem with it. And I'm going to get into the sourcing and the, the mechanics of why this is a propagandistic lie in a second. But before that, the problem that is very obvious to anybody who's being honest as they read this story is if there is one group of people on Earth that it's pretty it's pretty clear Donald Trump supports and thinks are are worthy of respect. It is combat veterans. Now, what the libs do is find someone who either served in combat or someone who will attack the president from behind the shield of Oh, I lost a family member in war, so therefore you have to listen to me. And then claim, because the president will attack that person, because he's a counterpuncher and he will fight back, because the president will not stand there and just take the abuse as a result, you know, because of that, they will say he doesn't like the military, he doesn't support the military, because he said it to this one person. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I think Democrats are insane. I have Democrat friends doesn't mean I hate all Democrats because obviously I'm not talking about all Democrats. But, you know, generally speaking, I think Democrats are nuts. Right. The president thinks that the military is awesome and has nothing but respect for it. He just finds so it's just kind of the opposite of what I view as, as the political truth uh, of knowing Democrats versus as individuals versus the whole party. You know, Trump loves the military, but there are some individuals who serve in the military who are jerks particularly generals, a lot of three and four stars that you meet, not very impressive, very political. They're really just politicians in a military uniform. Um, a lot of them didn't really serve in any 
serious uh, risk or combat themselves. That's also very common. So we, we elevate them. Oh, the guy's got four stars. He must really be incredible. Look, I've said it for a long. I, I know people that say they really love Mattis. I've never understood. To me, it seems like a media creation, which is also what I felt was the truth of General Petraeus. And that was definitely true. And when we figured out who that guy really was, everyone goes, oh, wow, it was a media creation. Genius General Petraeus. Uh, you know, General Mattis has said things about Trump that are that are just boneheaded. He said stupid stuff about the president. Why am I supposed to be so impressed by him? Because the media tells me Mad Dog Madison, all this stuff. I don't know. You see the guy talking about any issue and you think, what am I supposed to be so impressed here by? Now, I know I've, I've had some people who are who served, who have, re- who have uh, reached out to me and said, Mattis is a great general buck. I'm telling you, and that may be true. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. And I don't think that we should live in a I don't think we do live in a country where just because someone served. And then the Democrats like that person, right? Because it doesn't apply to, say, General Flynn. Or it doesn't apply to people the Democrats don't like. Because someone serving there a Democrat, they're allowed to go around bludgeoning everybody who disagrees with them politically with that service. And they're, you know, they're, the libs love to do this. They'll even have a few you know, writers, authors, pundit types out there now. They'll, they'll find somebody who happens to be a Democrat who served. And that person's whole job is to run around and say, oh, I serve. You didn't. Every Republican who has an opinion on war who didn't also serve. This is one of their favorite ploys to create messengers who have a status that does not allow them to be criticized or a status of a victim that also does not allow them to be criticized. Democrats love to do that. Let's focus back in here on Trump saying allegedly, look, it's BS, folks. I mean, that's I, I don't even want to use terms like allegedly. It's so obviously false. There are things that you could say. The president might have said in confidence or in a moment of anger. There are things that I'm sure the president might have said that if I knew about, if I heard about, I would say to myself, wow, that was, you know, come on, that's in poor taste. There's no question about that. I, I don't agree with everything President Trump says. I don't agree with every uh, with every move he makes. That That's clear from this show. I, I'm not going to be somebody who just says that everything that this man does is fantastic. There are other people who do that, you know, on other other radio shows, other other folks out there. But this is just not a reasonable point of criticism for this president. There's just no way. It's just not it's just not possible. I mean, this, this isn't I want to say it's not possible. It's not believable. But here's what you need to know. The lib media propaganda war is in full swing. They will say anything about Trump. Absolutely anything. In fact, journalists believe that lying to help defeat him in this election is the ethical thing to do. It's disgusting. But this is where we are. Lying is ethical. That's the journalist approach to Trump. Whatever you do to take this guy down is inherently justified. Doesn't that make so much more sense of all of this now? Doesn't that doesn't that all of a sudden explain everything that we need to know? I certainly think so. All right. I certainly think that that alone tells you the likelihood of this being uh, this being real, this being a, a true statement. But then they, they did the usual journo tricks here. 
like having no named sources, all unnamed sources. You don't get to know. The public doesn't get to know who said the president said this. Meanwhile, there are quite a few on the record sources, including John Bolton, who hates the president's guts, who was there. Right. This was all about that. Really, the center of this is whether the president said this when he was supposed to go to a uh, a memorial service for wound, uh, for uh, slain service members in France. And he didn't go because of weather. He's supposed to fly in a helicopter, couldn't go because of the weather. And they have now turned around and said he didn't go basically because he thinks that people who die in war are losers. This is absurd. Trump respects our Marines. He respects, you know, our our infantrymen. He respects our airmen. He respects our SEALs. He respects our submariners. I mean, Trump Trump is a guy who thinks all that is really cool and really worthwhile and really awesome. Anybody who spent any time around him knows this. But the journos run with this storyline that he's you know, a bad guy. The journos run with this storyline that he actually hates all of them. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You have to remember that if if this if the sources, the unnamed sources behind all this came out and said, you know what, we made it all up. Journalists would be a little bit upset at their hit, reputational hit they would take. But they wouldn't be upset about defaming Trump. No, and they, they think defaming Trump is entirely justified they think they think it's completely worthwhile they have no problem with it at all hmm. and then they also have to deal with the issue of the on the record sources white house press secretary kelly McEnany spoke to this play five well i've heard from enough people i've heard in fact from 19 on the record sources who put their names on their testimony and those 19 sources more than a dozen of which have first hand accounts have dismissed this said it is fundamentally untrue you have a liberal activist publication in the atlantic proffering these absolute lies about president trump um, and again anonymous cowardly anonymous sources won't put their name on their allegations but you have now almost 20 people putting their names on this and saying that this is fundamentally untrue. And this president loves our veterans. I see it each and every day. Uh, he deeply cares about our military. And this is Democrats trying to wedge uh, veterans away from a president that has done more for them than any president in the history of our country. The libs are desperate, you see. They're desperate. We're, we're coming out of this pandemic, and increasingly it's obvious to anyone who really looks at it that the most extreme lockdown advocates were wrong, wrong, and wrong again. Really no benefit from it at all. We've had months taken from us, months of our lives stripped from us as a nation. Going on really now, we're going to be at a year before you can even blink an eye. It's going to happen very quickly. For what? Oh, because the science, because Fauci, because Dr. Fauci's out there telling you don't do this, do that. The data, the mitigation. I don't think so. Here's part of the problem. You did have a, a few journalists uh, come forward. Fox News' Jennifer Griffin. She she uh, said that they had verified the claims. Play clip seven. I think it's important to mention that Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who you just heard from, was in the tank meeting at the Pentagon on July 20th, 2017, when the president berated the Pentagon four-star generals, calling them losers and dopes and babies. Quote, you're all losers, Trump said. You don't know how to win anymore. I wouldn't go to war with you people, Trump told the four-star generals. Addressing the room, President Trump exclaimed, 
you're a bunch of dopes and babies. So when Mnuchin says he has never heard the president speak that way of the military or to generals, that's patently false. I confirmed with people who were present at the meeting the president used those exact words in the Pentagon. I also circled back with my sources this weekend who confirmed that the president did not go or did not want to go to the Ain Marne Cemetery in France to honor the American war dead when he could no longer fly by helicopter and, and that one of the president's favorite words, which he uses when he's angry, is loser. That doesn't tell us anything about this story, really. Trashing four-star generals. I'll, I'll trash four-star generals all day. I'm not going to apologize for it. Some of them have been much more concerned with getting on the boards of big companies when they leave military service or with the latest profile in Rolling Stone magazine. Although, look how that worked out for General McChrystal. A lib, by the way. Who knew? Um, betrayed by the libs around him, the lib reporters around him who didn't care that he was a four-star general in a theater of war. They wanted to get something uh, written in Rolling Stone that would really get the libs fired up. Yeah, idiot cowards. Uh, but I'll, I'll criticize four stars all day for their policies and for the fact that they sit behind comfortable desks, just like, just like analysts at Langley, just like people working in the Department of Motor Vehicles, folks. Four stars are not taking some big risks. So don't expect me to sit around and say, oh, well, because this person is really senior in the higher. I'm on the military. I don't have to show them any respect at all. So Trump, that doesn't mean anything that Trump says that some of them are babies and whiners and losers. He might be right. right. We were told that Petraeus was some kind of great genius. He seems like a smart enough guy, but he had some things on his mind other than winning the war in Afghanistan. We all know that much. And then to be CIA director and do what he did with classified information, appalling. Oh, but he was a four-star. Yeah, but he was a politician. You know, it's the infantryman. It's that young uh, Marine. It's that young Army Ranger. That logistics sergeant who comes back from Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria or wherever. That's the person that you buy a drink for. That's the person you say, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your service. You show them respect. Four-star generals? They're policy people. They're making decisions that affect the lives of those brave men and women who are actually over there taking the risks. It's not the same thing, Jennifer Griffin. Doesn't mean anything the president said that some of the generals are babies. He's right. Some of them are much more concerned with either getting that additional star or making sure that they get that cushy think tank work afterwards. I know this because generals come and go from the CIA where I used to work. Not always impressive. Some of them are great. Some of them are not great at all. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The other thing I, I think we should point out, Brooke, is that the president is trying to consistently uh, put the wool over people's eyes, pull the wool over people's eyes, that somehow he's had this this amazing response to the coronavirus. He once again uh, tried to say that the U.S. is leading the world when it comes to the coronavirus. It's only leading the world in coronavirus deaths. It's not leading in a in the yeah. response to the coronavirus. Other countries uh, have far surpassed in performance uh, in terms of getting this virus under control. And so I do think that the 
president is trying to put this false spin out there that somehow he's on top of this, and that's why he keeps coming back to this this lie, if you want to call it that. Uh, you know, no reporter likes to say the president of the United States is lying, but this lie that a vaccine is going to be out there available to the American people, kids are going to be lining up and getting injections in their arms and so on before Election Day. Uh, every responsible public health expert inside the task force and, you know, outside the task force and the public health community have all said that's just not going to happen. I love when Jim Acosta can't even get through a lie about President Trump without lying some more. In this case, he's saying his lie, Acosta's lie, is that no reporter likes to say the president is lying. And he just says it just it just filters in. It's just so. Oh, yeah, sure. No, no reporter thinks that the president of the United States is lying. It's actually not true. A lot of them like to say that a lot of them love it. A lot of them have built careers on it. But they lie even when it comes to Trump's lying. Isn't that the most perfect thing? And that's that's something we all have to remember as they continue to roll out these various anti-Trump stories. And that's something that we have to remember as, as they pretend, right? They pretend that what's really happening in this country is they're just bringing us the information, the news that we need to make our own decisions. Anyone who believes that at this point, I, I don't even know what to say to them. I don't even know what claim we could make that would deal with such an absurdity at this stage. But oh, there you go. There's there's a way to describe Jim Acosta. Just an absurdity beyond comprehension. That's what he is. That's what he's turned into. Uh, the journalists, as we know, are waging war against this president. They're going to do everything they can to tear him down at this very critical stage of the election process. And you should just remember that there are very few places, a shame, very few places in the, in the mainstream media where you can even expect the facts to be honestly presented anymore. Uh, the media is in, is from what I've seen in the most recent polling, less trusted uh, than Donald Trump is to present facts on coronavirus, which it's, it's fascinating because the media thinks that they're the straight shooters and Trump is always lying. No. Intelligent Americans of good judgment have figured out that Journalism in this country is largely a farce, almost entirely a fraud, and you should approach it with caution. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. With him, he's right on tape, and you don't want to cover it. You should be ashamed of yourselves. The press should be ashamed of themselves. With Biden... Shipped away our jobs, threw open our borders, and sent our youth to fight in these crazy, endless wars. And it's one of the reasons the military, I'm not saying the military is in love with me, the soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably are because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. But uh, we're getting out of the endless wars. You know how we're doing. We defeated 100% of the ISIS caliphate, 100%. When I was in, when I came in, it was a mess. It was all over. They have it in a certain color, all ISIS. A year later, I said, where is it? It's all gone, sir. Because of you, it's all gone. Because of my philosophy, but it's all gone. President making it very clear that he has... Tremendous respect for the military, but it's he's really about the soldiers. 
And he's saying that there is at the top of the Pentagon, it's similar to what I was telling you before, the four stars and three stars. These are these are not combatants, really. These are people that are politicians. They're managers. They're running a very large organization. Now, some of them, I understand, some of them are uh, people who have served heroically in war zones and combat previously. But just because you're a general doesn't mean that everyone has to in the rest of society has to salute and say, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. That's not how it goes. And that includes the commander in chief. Not to say that he thinks all of his generals are doing a great job. He's allowed to be frustrated with them. Look, the national security elites in this country, the people that are making the decisions about what countries to invade and when and how long we stay and what we do there, the so-called experts that our elected officials rely on from think tanks all the way up to the top of the Pentagon, they have underperformed dramatically over the last 20 years. Underperformed. They've not done a very good job. We're still in Afghanistan, and we're still in Iraq. And every time the president makes a move toward ending those military, uh, those military commitments, those military deployments, there's someone in the Pentagon, you know, there'll be some news story in the New York Times, oh, all the experts say collapse is imminent if this happens and you can't do this. Hmm. Isn't he the commander-in-chief? Why can't he do this? You know, there are always risks. There are always risks to ending endless wars, but the alternative is endless war. Right? That's where we are. And people will say, oh, Buck, we're not really fighting that much in Afghanistan. Now, we're not fighting that much in Iraq. Yeah, but by keeping a military presence there in an unstable country where there is a large, hostile insurgency against us, specifically with the Taliban in Afghanistan that controls a lot of territory, it's just a question of when we're going to have to raise our troop levels, go back. And, and what really are we doing there? Why do we have to be in charge of Afghanistan? Where, where does it say that your sons and daughters and some of you listening to this right now yourselves should be policing the streets of Kandahar or Jalalabad or Kabul or Helmand province or whatever? Why? No one really has a great answer, though, because... There are bad people who will take charge if we leave. There are plenty of countries that are run by bad people. Why are we sending our best to go do the work that the Afghan people should be doing for themselves? And if they're incapable of doing it, that's not our problem. That's not America's role in the world. I, I thought we had already had a referendum of sorts on this with Trump's election. I thought it was clear that this was no longer going to be something that we took into our hands. Not if you allow them, if you allow them to have their way at the uh, E-ring of the Pentagon, not if you allow the people making the decisions from inside the national security bureaucracy to steamroll common sense, which is what they tend to do. And that's what the president brings to all this. That's what President Trump shows up with. He says, hold on a second. Why are we doing this thing? No, no, really. I want an explanation. What are we getting from this? What are the benefits of this? What's the mission? What's the strategy? And don't give me some, oh, it's, you know, clear and hold and rebuild. And We've been saying that in Afghanistan for almost 20 years. Hasn't worked. It's going to work next year? Oh, no, this is just forever. This is just what we're going to keep doing without anyone ever really asking why, without anyone ever coming to the conclusion 
who's in power and in, in a position of authority to do something about it, that this is a bad idea. Oh, the journos. Oh, the lib media, when the president said this about the Pentagon wanting to continue this because there are those who benefit from the major military contractors having wars to fight, making the bombs and the planes, and there's a financial incentive here. They said, oh, how dare the president ever say such a thing? How dare he take this position? Well, this shouldn't be surprising to anybody. He's not the first president to say this. In fact, he's just continuing with a long tradition of presidents who recognize that this is a reality, whether they did anything about it or not is another another issue. But go back to Eisenhower's military-industrial complex speech, by four. I come to you with a message of leave-taking and farewell. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Oh my gosh, she's saying that we have to be on guard for the military-industrial complex. Actually coined the phrase, is Eisenhower now a terrible person that nobody should ever listen to? No, in fact, that speech is commonly cited as, first of all, it's the most well-known of, of Eisenhower's entire presidency. And people point to it and say, he saw what was coming. He saw the reality of the tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars that would be changing hands as a result of wars. Look, the Republican Party learned a lesson in Iraq, my friends. We learned a lesson from the Bush, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice era, that fiasco that occurred. What were we doing? Were we prepared for what we decided to do? Why have we made that decision? But no, instead, the journalists pretend after claiming they cared so much about all of that, right? Because it was useful as a as a weapon against Bush, as a weapon against the Republican Party, as a weapon against anybody who came after him and tried to stop the march of the socialist left. Uh, they abandoned that at the first opportunity or, or as soon as it is opportune for them, as soon as it's convenient for them and act like President Trump even bringing this up is beyond the pale. It's absurd. It's terrible. How could how could he? Well, maybe the president recognizes that there are things going on in the government that are swampy. Maybe he remembers that his promise was to do things differently and that ultimately as commander-in-chief, his first obligation with the decisions he makes about our military is to the security of the people of the United States and to the greatest degree he can, he thinks in terms of what's good for the soldier. Not what's good for the four star back at home, you know, en route to a conference in Aspen. That's not the president's first thought process. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
What's Kamala Harris up to these days? Oh, the Democrats' VP pick. And some would say the soon-to-be de facto president of the United States. They'll get tired of coddling Biden once he becomes president and writing out all the cue cards for him and will want to hand over more responsibilities to Kamala Harris. I really believe this. And you know that I don't go with conspiracy theories and, and I don't like outlandish predictions for their own sake. If Joe Biden becomes president, I don't think that he finishes out his first term. I think that he even I think that he bails by the midterm, just steps down, gets to make tens of millions of dollars giving speeches and having other people write books for him, reading speeches, other people write for him and publishing books that other people have written for him and gets to be a hero for the Democrat Party forever. Everyone will love him and his family and his family name. Why allow yourself to get dragged into more political battles fighting against the Republicans when the left is willing to do all the fighting for you. I don't think that Joe Biden finishes his first term. I, I don't believe that he continues on with it. I think that he anyway. But Kamala Harris then becomes president of the United States. So it's more important than it even would normally be for all of us to make very uh, to make a, a special point of digging into who is this vice president. Right. Who, who is she? What does she stand for? Uh, you have, for one thing, this is a person who has been a, uh, a district attorney for San Francisco, a state attorney general in California, and she's shown she's a political hack. I mean, she's willing to do things for the sake of politics that are clearly not about the law. And she'll even come out now and say that the officer in the Kenosha shooting should be charged. Play 24. You believe that the officer who shot Jacob Blake should be charged. Um, you are the district attorney yeah. in, in San Francisco. I'm wondering if you put yourself in the position of the DA in Kenosha mm-hmm. and how you would feel if you got pressure from the Democratic running mate to be vice president of the United States to put criminal charges in without necessarily knowing the facts that the DA knows. You're absolutely right. And that's why I've been very clear. I am not in full possession of the facts of the case. But based on what I've seen... I think that charges very much should be considered and, 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 and should be um, considered in a very serious way and that there should be accountability and consequence. Accountability and consequence. She doesn't know everything. She says she doesn't even know all the facts, but charge them anyway. <laughs> OK, that's the Kamala Harris school of being a prosecutor. I mean, I'm not saying I don't know everything, but charge them. Go for it. He's going to be charged because he didn't wait to see if Jacob Blake was able to get a knife and stab him with it. They held his shirt. They said, stop. They said, don't. They had guns drawn. Jacob Blake made a decision that the police didn't have any authority over him. And Jacob Blake suffered the consequences of that decision. There's really no surprise here. There's really no surprise. I've told you, even if I was completely unarmed, If I am told by police to show my hands after wrestling them to the ground, so now they they recognize me as a threat, somebody who was noncompliant, someone who's willing to use violence against cops, and I reach into my waistband really quickly and say, I've got a gun, and they say, show us your hands, and then I really quickly pull my hand out of my waistband like I'm going to shoot them, and they shoot me, that's on me. That's my fault. That's not on the cops. Same thing applies to walking around to your vehicle door and reaching in for a knife you have on the floorboard when you are a suspected rape suspect 
who has already fought with the cops on the ground. But you know what the response of the left has been to this? The same thing they always do. And it's so it's so depressing because it's such a, a bunch of pandering bullcrap. The whole thing is so dishonest and so disgraceful. But they uh, have Kamala Harris saying to Jacob Blake, quote, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, she says, to this man who allegedly uh, digitally raped a woman with her child in the room from the police report. Um, third degree sexual assault, criminal trespassing. And that's that's what we know of Jacob Blake. Does anyone really does anyone really think he's going to he's going to beat those charges? Doesn't seem like it. Guy doesn't seem like he cares very much about the law at all. But Senator Harris uh, spoke to Jacob Blake and said she is proud of him. Here's the the trial lawyer for him, uh, for, for Blake, put this out. Senator Harris had an inspirational and uplifting one-hour visit with Jacob Blake Jr. and his family. Uh, here we go. Here. In a moving moment, Jacob Jr. told Senator Harris he was proud of her, and the senator told Jacob she was also proud of him and how he's working through his pain. Why exactly is Kamala Harris proud of him? Let's really ask the question, what is she proud of here? What did, the, what did this guy do to deserve a vice presidential candidate being proud of him? Really? Let that one, let that one simmer for a moment. Let that one just bounce around in your head. Uh, because he may be a rapist, or at least a sexual assaulter. That, that's a terrible thing, right? Uh, I'm sure now that the DA is probably going to push to drop all the charges against him as though resisting, uh, resisting arrest and getting shot means that all the crimes you did before don't count. I don't know. That's what I would s expect that to happen because it's all political. There's a law, accountability, individual action. None of that really matters anymore. Now, what's much more important is this is considered a win for Team Democrat. He's a martyr for the cause now. He's someone that they all have to pretend is a great person, an inspiration, a hero, just like they did with Mike Brown. Mike Brown was a person who was a criminal who tried to hurt a cop and got killed. And they still act like he's a martyr. Why? Well, what did he do that was a good thing? Notice they will always give more than the benefit of the doubt. They will rewrite history to create martyrs for this movement. And I think they do this in part knowing that those of us who don't buy into all this crap are even more outraged by the fact that they choose people who aren't sympathetic. They choose people who are attacking police. If you attack a cop and the cop thinks that you are a mortal threat, he or she should shoot. But they do it intentionally. They pick these cases where they make up a story, and then when the story isn't true, it doesn't matter because it's all about what their constituency is going to say. It's all about how the left will react to this. And Kamala Harris is shameless. Shameless. Doesn't really stand for anything other than what has to be said to Democrats to make them happy so they'll vote for you so you'll be in power. She's a classic politician in that way. Same thing with Joe Biden. You know? There are a lot of people that will criticize Trump all day long, but the truth is that President Trump beat the whole Republican field because he was willing to say things and take ideas forward 
that were not the establishment, that were not what was poll tested and political consultant approved. Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, it's just the usual warmed over social justice, socialist, elitist crap. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Biden, the radical socialist Democrats, would immediately collapse the economy. If they got in, they would collapse it. You'll have a crash the likes of which you've never seen before. Your stocks, your 401ks. Remember, it's the people that own these massive listed companies. A lot of people, rich people and not so rich people and middle income people. And those stocks will crash like you've never seen before. The Biden plan begins with a four trillion dollar tax hike. And that will end everything, including growth. There won't be growth. There'll be total contraction. The economy is probably still, probably, still the most important single determining factor. Perception around the economy as to who will be the president of the United States uh, starting in January of next year. Right. But perceptions of the economy are essential. The president there saying what is unsurprising to hear from him, that he thinks that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will ruin things. And Democrats, of course, will say, no, it's going to be a return to normalcy and there's going to be a shared prosperity. We're all going to do better together. It's all we're going to spread the wealth around. You see, we're going to do all kinds of. Okay. well, let's let's dig into that a little bit, shall we? Uh, You have. Donald Trump saying they're going to crash the economy. What is the Biden plan for making things better in America, economically speaking? What's the Biden plan? Well, he gives you a sense of it here. Play clip nine. Where the money is coming from, obviously, you're seeing the deficits that we're facing right now. What would President Biden do? Uh, Many say uh, that you would have no choice but to raise taxes. Not true. I can actually cut taxes for middle class people. Anybody making less than four hundred thousand dollars wouldn't pay a penny. But guess what? The super wealthy will start to pay what they should pay. I'm going to increase the tax rate back to what it was under George Bush. Thirty six point nine percent. That would raise close to a trillion dollars. We're going to also make sure that the tax rate goes down. Not to 20 percent for corporate America, but to 28 percent from 38 percent. That raises a considerable amount of money as well. Make sure that people, in fact, who are in a situation where they are paying no taxes, major corporate, they pay a minimum of 15 percent tax because you have 19 corporations making billions of dollars paying zero tax. I pay for every single thing that I plan on doing for education, for health care, for all the things that matter in terms of people being employed and ordinary middle class people having a fighting chance. He's just delusional or a liar, or maybe both. Whatever the cue card says, what he's going to read. So I don't know who we're supposed to blame for all this. But look what he's saying. Oh, it's just a question of taxing the rich. How many times have we heard this one? How many times have we been told that if only the rich would pay their fair share, everything in this country would be so much better? Do you believe that? No, of course not. The rich, the truly rich, don't have enough money. You know, the Democrats love to do. They love to define a two-income household making, you know, $150,000 or $200,000 a year as rich. If you live in some parts of Nebraska, two hundred dollars for a household income, yeah, you're, you're living fat and happy. That's great. You live in San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York City. You're just maybe paying your bills. Yeah, that's reality. But Democrats don't ever deal with that because their donors are all 
multi multi-millionaires, even billionaires, the people that are really pushing the economic policy come from a very different perspective on all this, which is that they want other people to pay higher taxes and they claim they want higher taxes. But guess what? When it comes to their own taxation, they do everything they can to try to hide money overseas to try to make sure that they don't pay that higher rate. I'll never forget when John Kerry was running for president. Of course, a classic Democrat talking about raising taxes on the wealthy. And, you know, he was moving the yachts around and doing this, that and the other thing to make sure that on uh, on income from assets alone, I think they made something like him and his wife had seven million that year. They paid like a 10 percent effective or 12 percent effective tax. We paid like nothing on money that they make just from sitting around. That was fine for John Kerry, but not fine for you. You got to pay more taxes. You say, well, Buck, hold on. I'm not super rich. Yeah, doesn't matter. Because remember, it's not just the federal tax rate we're talking about here. It's the regulations on your health care plan through Obamacare and through other intrusions in the marketplace from the federal government. It's the state regulations on your business, the state taxes, the uh, consumption taxes that exist out there. What, what do they think makes people in this country rich? The Democrats seem to believe if only they take more money from people who already have money, everyone else is going to be better off. It's not going to work. It's not going to make you better off. It's not going to make me better off. I wish I wish that were that were true. Um, but so Joe Biden is also having to back away from other crazier ideas of the Democrat Party because people's memories aren't so short in this country that they'll forget necessarily in November what he really states clearly today. So he's repudiating old positions. I, I got to tell you, the, the stuff that you're seeing now on the environment, and th this is where this is where I wanted to focus our attention for a moment. Uh, the situation in California, I know we have wonderful Team Buck California listeners out there. I hear from you a lot. Uh, but you have the mayor of Los Angeles. I mean, th this is this is stunning. The mayor of Los Angeles saying that, uh, you know, you have to I'm, I'm trying to trying to find exactly how he says it. But, you know, it's like turn your AC off. And turn off your major appliances and they're doing they're doing electricity rationing on uh, in a state that should be one of the wealthiest and most effective. You know, one of the most effective states in the, in the country I mean, ha has one of the largest economies. But instead, what are we told? Oh, California needs to ration electricity because oh, they don't even give you a reason for it. You know what the reason is? Grotesque mismanagement. A lot of the mismanagement pushed by the environmentalist lobby. A lot of it. That's the reason why right now you're supposed to. It's the, the mayor of Los Angeles put out some tweet about this that got everyone's attention. But it effectively said... Uh, you know, you got to unplug your stuff and get ready for this. You know, make make your home really hot. Uh, this this is what libs love to do. They love to tell you that if you're a good person, you'll listen to them. And then they don't want to listen themselves. The mayor of, of L.A. wrote yesterday, I know we all wish we could be at a party or a barbecue. We miss our traditions, our friends and family. But if you've made those plans, please cancel. Even if you're young and healthy, parties are dangerous. That's a lie. If you're young and healthy, you're going to be fine. 
as fine from this as you would be from going out and subjecting yourself to any number of other viruses and things out there. It's just a lie. We have to make sacrifices to defeat COVID-19 and save lives. Oh, how many more sacrifices? How, how much longer should we be making these sacrifices? Whenever they say so. But we're all in this together, right? That's what they tell us. We're all in this together. We, that hasn't been true for one day of this thing. There are the wealthy, those with assets, and those who need a paycheck to pay their bills, who might have lost their jobs, their industry might be shut down because of the arbitrary decision-making of our COVID-19 overlords. And then there are these other rules and regulations. You know, I flew in from Montana yesterday. Montana just added to the quarantine states. And the first time I flew in from North Carolina, because, yeah, I am traveling. I am going on planes. I am, I am living my life to the extent that I can, despite the morons in charge who tell us that we can't do anything anymore. Oh, because of COVID. As if they have any idea how to stop it or what to do about it. No, they're just using this as a power grab. They have been all along. But I flew in and, and there was no enforcement whatsoever. There were, they didn't even take any of my information. It was just all it was all preposterous. They create this quarantine with this $10,000 fine. They don't know. And they're not going to do it. So why would you do it? Right? They keep showing us what they really think of this virus, which is that it's very useful for controlling the plebs. It's very useful for shaming and and ordering around the hoi polloi. But this is now, unfortunately, the reality we face. I don't even know the Democrats care that we expose their hypocrisy all the time because they've been able to incrementally seize so much power. I don't know how we pull it back from their, their little grasping fingers. Uh, but yeah, there's no... Oh, the, the uh, gyms in San Francisco, it turns out, Government gyms have been open. So government employees, I'm sure, deemed essential. They have had access to their own gyms, but private gyms that people pay money to go to closed. Even my own gym here in New York, it's open. I, I belong to a private gym in New York City. It's open. I'm supposed to wear a mask the whole time. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. OK, it's moronic. Limit the number of people in there. Ventilate the space. Let young, healthy people who are not worried about COVID work out. Instead of just making us all fat and get, you know, higher risk for hypertension and diabetes and everything else, which is what they're doing with these policies to millions of people. Oh, the mayor of L.A., here's the tweet. It's almost 3 p.m. This was yesterday. Time to turn off major appliances. Set the thermostat to 78 degrees. Ouch. That's muy caliente. Turn off excess lights and unplug any appliances you're not using. We need every Californian to help conserve energy. Please do your part. Why doesn't California have enough electricity? Because of California's poor management of its grid and because of its stupid environmental regulations. That's why. But this isn't just a California thing. This is a Democrat thing. They make bad decisions about this. And instead of allowing the public to come to the very clear conclusion that these morons don't know what they're doing, why the heck are we listening to them? When it comes time for accountability, you know what they claim? Oh, I never actually thought that this was going to happen. I never actually thought this was a problem or we needed to do this. Here's, here's Joe Biden on fracking. Play Ted. 
I never told the environmentalists that I'm going to ban fracking, period, number one. Number two, it's a flat lie about what President Trump is saying. I've said repeatedly on the record and during the campaign, what I did say was I would make sure that any new fracking taking place made sure the water supply and methane was not leaking. There are the two things. That's it. I will not ban fracking. That's weird because he's said that we need to ban fracking many times before. Oh, but Pennsylvania, you got a problem there with Pennsylvania if you ban fracking. Also, fracking has resulted in the shale energy revolution that has made our economy even more dynamic, even more successful because energy prices are so far are so much lower. And because American domestic production, we we became in the last 10 years a an energy superpower. And it's like no one even noticed because half the country's like, we need more windmills and we need more hydro dams and stuff put a solar power on my hat because i want to power everything with solar that's what democrats say doesn't work that way or at least it doesn't work out uh, but that is their position on all of this they just don't like fossil fuels they, they've been brainwashed to think that fossil fuels are destroying the world and you know that's not an exaggeration they really believe that it's crazy but they believe it <laughs> You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Will there be a vaccine soon? People for months have been reporting on this. We've all been wondering what's going to happen here. I think I remember in the early days of the pandemic, there were all these vaccine reports telling us, oh, by the at the end of the year, we might have a vaccine that didn't really help us all that much in March, did it? But. Now we're actually getting close. Now that's a, a discussion that seems like it's worth having because it could just be 90 days away, perhaps 60 days away from some level of distribution. Remember, not everybody has to get this vaccine for this to very quickly be a much lesser threat to public health. If people who are at highest risk, just as we do with the flu every year, a lot of people don't get the flu vaccine. And as we know, flu vaccines are only partially effective and you have to get one every year. But a lot of people uh, don't get the flu vaccine. But those who do, who are older at higher risk, then obviously that's taking some of the overall health risk out of the equation. And we could have the same thing here with a vaccine if it gets out soon enough. We'll have to see if that, in fact, happens. But there's going to be a big challenge. I don't mean a challenge in terms of the science, a challenge in terms of public perception of this. For example, what is it, my friends? What is it that we are to do when we hear Democrats who all of a sudden are unwilling, unwilling to be publicly supportive of taking this vaccine? I, I thought they're all about the science, right? I thought that they really believe uh, that we should do this. Well, here's the VP would be Kamala Harris on what should happen if Trump says, OK, Operation Warp Speed is a, is a success. Let's get that vaccine going. Play 25. As you know, President Trump has promised a coronavirus vaccine by the end of the year or maybe sooner. Would you trust that vaccine? I think that we have learned since this pandemic started, but really before that, that there's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. Um, from the beginning of this pandemic, he has called it a hoax. 
He has muzzled the public health experts. He has minimized the seriousness of it. He has created false expectations for the American people and American families, even though if he had listened to the scientists and the experts, he would have understood the gravity of it and the power that he as President of the United States has to actually save lives. And none of those were his priorities. His priority was to, to do whatever he thought was uh, politically expedient. And um, so, no, I would not trust his word. I would trust the word of public health experts and scientists, but not Donald Trump. Uh, so what is she saying here? That Trump is going to say a vaccine is effective, but the health experts won't? Think about this, friends. There are health experts out there who, when it became clear that the Democrat BLM movement was taking to the streets in violation of social distancing that they enforced on you and me, can't go see your relatives, can't go outside your house, can't go to a funeral, but BLM can put 4,000 people together. That's no problem, right? That's fine. And there were public health experts who spoke up, like the partisan hacks they are, trying to defend that. I'm telling you right now, you're going to have people, MDs, who go on TV who are libs. Just because they're an MD doesn't mean their politics aren't every bit as much a factor as everything else that we're talking, as anyone else we're talking about here. You're going to have MDs go on TV who are like, well, we're not sure. This vaccine may be a little bit rushed. Well, they're, they're willing to go anti-vax. And whenever you think of vaccines as a general proposition, I mean, I think that it's very clear that vaccines have done a tremendous amount for public health. Not all of them are perfect. Some of them are probably riskier than others. But whatever your positions on on this specific vaccine, the Democrats will say, oh, no, this one is bad, at least until after the election. And that's what we should all understand is, is going to happen here. That's that we should get ready for that right now. Play 13. So I got to ask the question. If the president announced tomorrow we have a vaccine, would you take it only if it was completely transparent? other experts in the country could look at it only if we knew all of what went into it because so far nothing he's told us has been true that's right casting doubt on whether the president would tell the truth about the vaccine working and being safe that is how dirty these democrats aren't just willing to play they're going to play every day between now and the election Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Roll call, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for being here. But before we get to that, because I missed you all. I've been gone since it's the longest I've been away from the team. I think since the beginning of the year, two whole days out, plus a plus a federal holiday. It's crazy. Producer Mark, was everything okay in my absence? You were on vacation, too. Yes, I wasn't here, too. I think uh, Mr. Opelka did his job very well. Filled in admirably. Godfather Michael Pelka did a great job. That's what I like to hear. How was uh, how was the producer Mark vacation? Uh, it could have gone a little better. Uh, we went up to Cooperstown, uh, the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. So the first day and a half was fantastic. Uh, I'm not going to begrudge Cooperstown on national radio. I think it's a great place, lovely town. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, it's fantastic. 
I wish they had some more uh, cabs or Ubers available for the beverage trail that they like to advertise, and I would never condone drunk driving, hence why me and my wife just decided to cut our losses and leave early rather than uh, kind of be bored and not be able to uh, enjoy the breweries and the wineries. Uh, why no Uber up there? That feels like that seems like that's pretty easy. Yeah, to you would think it's a, a big tourist city. Maybe it's something to do with King Cuomo. I, I don't know. A lot of stuff was probably different than you what you would normally see in that town during the summer because of all the restrictions. And how uh, how is the Baseball Hall of Fame? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, you know, it, it's um, not as I've been to now the hockey and the baseball Hall of Fame. I'd say hockey's a lot more interactive. There's more stuff to do uh, in, in that sense, but baseball is just a straight-up museum. And if you love baseball, you'll just appreciate all the artifacts and stuff like that that they have, yeah. What was the coolest artifact you saw? Um, personally, I'd, I'd yeah. probably have to say the plaques because, you know, that's the, the big thing. You want to have your name on a plaque in Cooperstown for the rest of your life, and I got to see Mike Piazza, who's my personal favorite player of all time, and uh, Mets legend Tom Seaver had actually just passed away right before we um, before we went up there, so they had the, the flowers and a big tribute to him. Uh, he's one of him and Piazza, the only two players to have Mets hats on in their uh, plaques at the Hall of Fame, so it was a pretty cool thing to see, to see for me. Very nice. Well, I'm glad that we got you a couple of days off, so now, now Mrs. Producer Mark can't be mad at me when we just put pedal to the metal until uh, the election slash the end of the year. Yeah, she can't can't be mad that she's not going to see me for the next what sixty days or so. Pretty much, yeah. 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 How was Montana? You didn't tell us. Montana is cool. Um, I I enjoyed it. I was out there with some friends and uh, the Snow Princess. We we had fun. It's we were in a ski area and it's not ski time of year, but it was obviously a major holiday, so there was a lot of stuff going on. Went to a fantastic barbecue place. Absolutely loved it and. I uh, can't remember the name of it, but it was really good. It was near Big Sky in Montana, which is a ski resort. And then what else did I do? Went hiking. You know, I'm not really a hike guy. A hike is kind of a strenuous walk that you just keep walking, you know, and then you're like, oh, what am I going to do now? I got an idea. I'm going to walk some more. You know, I, and you, I got a little bit of a blister. You know, anyway, it wasn't really my thing. I don't really love hiking. I and mean, then you're I did supposed some... to see cool stuff on hikes, I guess. Yeah, I saw some beautiful scenery, but, you know, I'm I'm good with, like, pull up in the car to an overlook or something somewhere and set up one of those beach chairs and, you know, have a have a nice margarita or something and just hang out. And I don't, I'm not I'm not feeling the need to go traipsing through the woods. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not a hike guy. I'm, I'm the same way. Guy. I like to look at the woods, but maybe with a glass of wine and a nice chair. Yeah, like I'm the guy you want to have work in the grill in your backyard overlooking the beautiful pine trees or something from the deck. But I'm not the guy who's like, let's go for seven miles through tall grass and then check ourselves for ticks afterwards. And, you know, that's not my thing. Yeah, it's, 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 thing. it's too much work, especially when you're on vacation. Yeah, it's a lot of, and then we, I went uh, mountain biking too, or really just trail biking. I suppose I saw a beautiful waterfall that was nice. I didn't see any bears, which I know you don't want to see them when you don't want to see them, but when you want to see them, you know, from a distance or something. I didn't see any bears. But Montana is an interesting place. Interesting place. Very beautiful. Very. If you love fly fishing, if you like the outdoors, you got to be a big fan of Montana. Uh, but if you're if you're a, if you're a city cat, I don't know. It's not. Not necessarily. And also, I don't ski, and it wasn't ski seasons. That's really why people go to where I was. Anyway, it was, it was pretty good. But I got away from stuff. 
I didn't get in any tweet battles or anything for a few days. And I actually miss work a lot. So that's good because remind me of that, Mark, in about uh, 40 days or so when we've just been in this loop of trying to keep everybody informed about the election. And like, that's all we do all the time. Yes. I'll remind you when you sound like you don't want to work anymore, that you actually do enjoy working. Yes. No, it's true. I actually miss this. You're going to remind me that when I'm like, Mark, I can't do it. You're like, you have a show. It's nationally syndicated. Shut up. But Mark, I'm I'm so tired. (laughs) Basically every morning of my life. Yeah. Yeah, Just get ready for it. Oh, man. All right. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com on the email. Uh, And also, we're getting them from Instagram, too, Buck Sexton. And we're posting more and more stuff there. Let's get to it. Dallas. Right. Buck and Mark love the show. I'm more like Jesse. Bull in a China shop. Your schooling of Antifa and their undiscovered potential was the most intelligent and true lesson I ever heard. Shields high. Well, Dallas, thank you. Yeah, I, that I just kind of fell into some analysis about what I really thought was behind a lot of Antifa. It was during roll call, actually, and it turned out that people that really resonated, and we sh- people shared that, and we put it out there just as a little in response to the audience, a, uh, a little sound bite. So I think that that was. I'm glad that you appreciated it because I think that that really does cut to the heart of it, Janet. Buck, my mother turned me onto your radio show a few years ago, and I haven't missed an episode since. Thank you for imparting your knowledge and insight. Our country needs more men like you. God bless you. Shields high. Well, Janet, thank you so much. You, madam, have fantastic taste in radio shows. And uh, it's a great honor that you find you get so much out of this show. It means a lot to, to me, Mark, the whole team, the whole Freedom Hunt squad, producer Nick and company. So thank you so much for joining us every day. And please spread the word. You know, if your mom, mom told you about the show, what about your, your sister or, you know, your great aunt Ethel or something? You know, tell her. Did, no one names their kid Ethel anymore, do they? It's you know, a you very know those old, kind of those old-timey name. names that used to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not naming a kid Ethel in 2020. I don't think yeah, anyone yeah, is. Have you ever met an Ethel who wasn't over 80? I have not, no. I don't think I've ever met an Ethel in general, actually. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like names are cyclical. Like there's got to be, there's got to be a, a a comeback for all these different names that we think of as being, I guess, people born in like the 30s. You know, you get those some of those names. Remember the? Do you remember? You never watched the Golden Girls, did you? Uh, my grandmother used to watch it, so I'd see some episodes. I actually thought it was a when I was a really young kid. I used to watch it. I thought it was a funny show. I liked it. I mean, most kids find anything funny. That's true. But I was like, I like these old ladies. They're funny. Uh, I did. Oh, I watched a lot of movies. I watched a lot of movies because I was stuck on four flights to get to uh, back and forth from Bozeman, Montana. And I will tell you, producer Mark, uh, the the movie about the uh, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, which is so embarrassing because I definitely watched it. Uh, but it's the guy who is the bomber. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, but he's not the bomber, but they, they treat him like he is at the Olympics. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know the name of the movie off the top of my head. Uh, it is... Hold on a second. It is Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell is excellent. It is a, it is a very well done movie. I, I thought based on the subject matter, I was like, how interesting could this really be? If you want to understand how we got to this place with the media and the deep state with Russia collusion... 
Watch Richard Jewell. It kind of takes you through a step-by-step of how this stuff goes. Law enforcement leaks to the press. The press creates the narrative. Law enforcement then becomes invested in the narrative, wants to continue to be chasing in a certain way because they want to look like they were right and intelligent, and they don't care who gets hurt in the process. I'm, Richard Jewell is excellent. I give it an A-, minus, which for me is, like, very rare, very rare. I mean, you don't like anything. That's true. Well, I mean, food. But, yeah, I don't like <laughs> a lot of shows. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like a lot of shows. But uh, I also watched uh, Harriet, the Harriet Tubman movie. And I got to look, they, it's a great story. They did not execute well in the story, though. Harriet Tubman leading a raid of hundreds of Union soldiers behind enemy lines to free more slaves. That was like a 30 second at the very end of the movie. They just come. Yeah. And then she did this other thing. I'm like, that's one of the coolest things of the whole story. I, I just they it, Harriet Tubman's life is a fa- fascinating subject matter for a movie. And they just did not execute on it very well. I, I don't know what else to say. It just wasn't it wasn't a very good movie, even though Harriet Tubman is a badass and uh, did really cool stuff, really important stuff. But. Yeah, it, 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 that movie was not very good. And then I also, wait, there was one other one. That, oh, and I watched Bombshell on the plane. See, I allow myself to watch movies on planes because I'm never, I'm, I'm never somebody who sits down and watches full-length movies. I watched Bombshell, and mm, I have some thoughts, thoughts that I'll share another day. Mike writes, hey, Buck, no doubt whatsoever that a contested election scenario is and has been In choreography for a while, all the convenient election year crises are clear and obvious tells to any objective observer. Would the globalists and leftists even take a remote chance at another likely straight up loss? Hell no. They have no challengers and they jump the shark with their riots domestically. Chaos is the strategy. The process is the punishment or tactic now, as it were, if we even get to and through Election Day. I fully expect an event in October that may very well preclude an election. Well, Mike, I I think that you're on the right track here with thinking that the left is going to reject what's coming. They're going to reject the results. Uh, I think that's certainly true. I also think that uh, they're going to allow the election to happen because they want to see if they can win it, and including by stealing it. So I don't think... They're going to stop the election from happening. I just think that they're going to refuse to accept that Trump won the election no matter what. And they are they are putting in place right now strategies to that effect, narratives that will support that. And, and we can we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, and the, the riots they've been pushing for. This is a, this is a liability for them now. They're trying to they're trying to make it a limited liability. They're trying to cover it up as much as they can. But it is a liability. No question about it. Um, Okay. Andy writes, Hey, Buck and producer Mark, love your show more than any other after so many years. No other show makes me laugh while also making me more informed at the same time. Hello? Hillary Croak. These riots and efforts to defund the police are taking valuable resources and attention away from other prevalent criminal activity, human trafficking, gangs, narcotics, etc., Without law enforcement, evil will take hold. Imagine sending a social worker to ask MS-13 to stop doing bad things. It is because of you and some others that I've decided to go into law enforcement once I get out of the Navy. You have a friend in the submarine force, Shields High. 
Well, Andy, that's great. And thank you so much for writing in and, and telling us what your plans are here. God bless, man. You're serving the Navy and then you want to serve your community as a law enforcement officer. That's such a such an important and honorable path. And as, as for being on the submarine force, being a submariner, I did watch the hunt for Red October. Sometimes I like to put something on when I'm packing or doing chores that I've already seen. But it's it's like having a buddy in the room, you know. By the way, Snow Princess says, producer Mark, do I say do I say R-O-O-M kind of weird? Room? Yeah. I don't know. Say it. Room. Yes. Darn it. You, I keep saying that you sound like Stewie from Family Guy, and you say it exactly like he does. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, he says room. Oh, man. You and you and my little sister would have a laugh. She also has said in the past that I sound like Stewie from the Family yeah, Guy. Yeah, or, so. or basically Seth MacFarlane in general. Yeah. Well, there you go. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call. But please, before I go on, remember to pass the buck. Tell a friend our podcast on Apple Podcasts. I think it was at one point over the weekend we were in the uh, for politics in the top 50. Uh, so that was that was nice, uh, nice boost for the podcast. Remember, this is first uh, it's a nationally syndicated radio show, but we also have a podcast of the show every day, and you can pass it to friends. It's so easy. Buck Sexton, just search for Buck Sexton on Spotify, on the uh, Apple Podcasts app, or the iHeartMedia app, which is, of course, our employer, as Bruce Mark likes to Bruce and Mark likes to point out so that we keep our jobs, which is true. Important to make sure we show appropriate love for our company. So you can listen on any of those platforms and uh, recommend that you do. And please just tell somebody about the show, especially right now. There's such a high interest in politics that there's nothing that could be more helpful for us than for each of you listening. If you really believe in the show, you've been listening for years. Look, I think it's the best show out there. OK, I do. So and that's not surprising, I'm sure, for any of you to hear. But I, I think objectively for what this is, there's no better show. So I would hope that you share that opinion and that you'll tell somebody, hey, give this guy a shot. Listen to him. Uh, go go become a part of the Freedom Hut. Just pass it to somebody text them you can download uh to your or rather you can uh, take the link on your phone and text it or email it directly from the uh, apple podcast app or from spotify uh you can send them a link to iheart it's very very easy to do and so please do that all right uh nancy writes can't nancy pelosi wash her hair at home like the rest of us and use a blow dryer we're all sacrificing. Why isn't she? She is such a liar. Where is she going to get her hair done the next time when she needs it after she threw the current owner under the bus? Um, yeah, I mean, Nancy, Nancy could do that, but she's important, you see. She's not supposed to be subject to the same rules as the rest of us because Nancy Pelosi is such a critical person for this country. She's a master legislator. Master legislator Pelosi. So yeah, when she wakes up from a Chardonnay, she she's producer Mark. You gotta just drive the car after the Chardonnay. You don't need an Uber. Nancy's got some advice for you, so be aware. I mean, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if that was real advice from her. (laughs) No, she's like, call your servant, producer Mark. Call the butler. He'll take care of it for you. All right, everybody, that's the show for today. I am honestly excited to be back with you every day this week and here until the election. We are locked and loaded. Please pass the buck. Until then, we'll join you tomorrow. Shields high.